Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Pastor Tim is on sabbatical for the summer, so in five weeks, you'll get to meet him. It's really interesting because I had somebody say to me, so your pastor, okay, like I, I heard him once and then he's been gone. I said, yeah, you just hit the last week before he happened to leave. But anyway, he'll be back soon. I actually got to see him this week. It was fun to reconnect. But back to the video clip, I, I identify with Wally. I identify with this idea that life is full of sorting things out. I don't know about you, but our, my family had a uh, hardware store. And my dad would task me with sorting out the nuts, the bolts, and the washers so that when people came in, if they pulled out the drawer, they got what they were looking for. No mixing things up. Everything is organized to avoid frustration. But we also had a grocery store. Now, just because we had two stores doesn't mean I grew up in a rich family, okay? But my dad would say, hey, I need you to go in the produce, and I need you to sort through the fruit because one bad apple can... Spoil the whole bunch, right? And you want your profit margin to be the best that it can. So I would go out and find vegetables or I would find the fruits and I would sort them out because we wanted to take care of our profit margin. But I remember in high school needing to sort through, okay, what sports am I going to do? What clubs am I going to be involved with? Who am I going to have as friends? Because, you know, you want to be guilty of association. I don't want to get in trouble because I'm buddies with so-and-so that's a troublemaker. And so not that we don't care for those folks or connect with them at some point, but you, you, you just don't hang with them. Sorting out friendships, sorting out relationships, sorting out my emotions. You know, if you want to be healthy, you have to think through, okay, why am I feeling sad right now? What, what, what is this loneliness feeling that I'm having? Sorting through emotions, Wow, is it getting warm in here or is it just my imagination? Oh, that reminds me of something. Did you know it's important to sort your laundry? (laughs) We washed this white shirt with this red thing on purpose. The shirt was white like that. But now if you see the color, if you see it, there's pinkish red all through my shirt. You know, sorting laundry matters. How many of you have been upset with somebody that didn't sort the laundry? Go ahead, raise your hands high. And don't point at them, just raise your hand and say, sorting matters. Sorting matters. Well, why does sorting matters? I would suggest this, that sorting suggests who we are. Who am I about? What do I value? And where do I want to go? So I sort through everything that I'm doing, and I would propose that all of us have an opportunity every day to sort through things whether it's sorting through emotions, sorting through decisions, sorting through stocks you want to invest in, sorting through activities that you want to do. And the interesting thing is, as a former youth pastor, and I do quite a bit of counseling, one of the things that I hear people say is, you know what, I was lonely in the moment, and I didn't pay attention to the activities that I was going to be involved with, or the people that I was going to be involved with, or I didn't sort through my priorities of do I want to drink or not drink, and I got kicked off the team, da, 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 da. I let down my guard and I didn't sort. Sorting matters. And did you know what? For most of us, as Wally was sorting through and he chucked the ring and kept the neat little box, most of us would say he sorted out the wrong thing. 
wouldn't we? The valuable thing he tossed. Well, did you know in Scripture, Scripture talks about this subject of sorting and the importance of sorting? So before we get to Psalm 62, we're going to look at Matthew 25. And most of you have probably heard this story. It's the story of the separating of the sheep and the goats. So let's stand as we read our kickoff scripture for today. Matthew 25, verse 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate. He will sort out the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You may be seated. Well, what does this scripture tell us? That there's a day coming when a sorting will take place. And it raises the question, it begs the question of why. Why would God need to sort out any sheep and goats? Well, I think it suggests a few things. One thing is God desires purity. He values purity. And the sheep and the goats need to be in their own category. He values authentic relationships. There are those who have an authentic relationship and those who are either posers or have nothing to do with God at all. And Scripture says that only purity can enter into heaven. And so he has to separate out that which is pure and that which is impure, that which loves him and those who don't love him or detest him. This sorting has to happen. The question then becomes, well, how do you get there? How do you become one of the sheep? Well, Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12, the last two verses of that chapter that we looked at last week, say this, one thing God has spoken. Now, the word spoken there means one thing God has promised. It's going to happen. It's a guarantee. But two things I have heard. Now, he isn't saying he's really heard two things. What he's saying here is one thing God's spoken, and I've heard it more than once. In other words, it's been repeated to me. And because it's repeated to me, I'm taking a note of it. Not that I ignored it the first time, but now that I've heard it twice, I better bank on that. I better meditate on that. I better focus on that. I better understand that. I better live in that. So what are the two things that I've heard? Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Looks like the Matthew text, isn't it? The separating of the sheep and the goats because of what you've done. There's a reward waiting you is what he's saying. Well, what's interesting here is he points out three things. First thing he says, God is powerful. What's interesting here is he uses the word Elohim. The word Elohim is the word for creator. It's a title. God, creator, Elohim. And Elohim stands for creator, powerful one, majesty, but it also stands for judge. When I was a youth pastor, I got uh, invited to be in charge of district talent. So our youth have the opportunity to be a part of a district talent show. They can do art. They can do verbal speaking. They can play their violin. They can sing a song. There's all these different mechanisms of sharing their talent. Well, I was invited to be the talent judge. Well, then after I did that for a while, I got invited to be the regional talent director, which means for the entire Northwest that meets at NNU. Well, then I became the regional director that oversaw the regional talent person and everyone else. 
And as I progressed through that, I had a common thread in all that. I wanted judges that knew what they were judging. There's nothing worse than having someone who is a pianist be in charge of judging art. Now, I'm not saying they couldn't know both disciplines, but usually not. What I love about this scripture is when it says, with you, God, Elohim, is all power. He had, what he's saying here is you have the right to judge because you're the one who knows all subjects, all disciplines. It's kind of like if you went to get your car worked on, you would want them to work on your car and get it back into spec. In other words, what did the creator design it to do? That's where it's supposed to operate. That's where it's supposed to run. And with God the judge, he says, I created it. I know exactly how it's supposed to work. And I'm judging it based on what I planned, what I purposed. What's its function? What is life all about? So God, the all-powerful one, is the one who will judge, who will separate out. And Jesus said, some will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but I'll say I never knew you because you never really surrendered your life to me. You might have played church. You might have done a lot of good things. You mentioned my name in prayer at the dinner table. But we never had this relationship. And so God, the powerful one, the almighty one, is the one who will judge. And he judges because he's just because he knows our hearts and he knows what he created us to do, to be. Well, the second thing that he says in the scripture is this, that God is love. Now, what's interesting here, he goes from using the term Elohim, creator, a title, he goes to a personal name, Yahweh, Adonai. He invites us to realize that the creator can only be perceived as the creator, as in the holy other. But he says, God doesn't want to just be your creator. He doesn't just want to be the powerful one that put everything into order, but he also wants to be your relational father, your heavenly father. He wants to be your friend. He wants to walk with you and live with you. But some of you would say, uh, this whole love thing, unfailing love, which we would translate mercy, the God of mercy. And mercy means I'm not giving you what you de deserve. You know, have you ever told your kid you deserve a spanking, but what I'm going to give you is an ice cream cone? How many of you have done that? All over the place, thousands of you have, or just one. But the idea of mercy is, well, what you deserve is this, but what I'm going to give you is this. And we know that through Jesus Christ who said, the wages of sin is death, but I'm going to die for you. God's ultimate demonstration of mercy is through Christ on the cross. Anyone glad that Christ went to the cross for you? God is merciful. He's just. He's a judge. But you need to understand his intentions and his heart. His heart is a heart of mercy, wanting to forgive, wanting to walk with us. But some of you would say, no, I'm not buying this love thing, this mercy thing. And the reason is there's a story in the Bible that proves that God is actually kind of rude, kind of mean. It's the parable that Jesus told where he said, hey, so this master was leaving town and he called together three workers. And according to their ability, he gave one five, uh, five bags of gold, one two bags of gold, and another one one bag of gold. Now I'm giving it to you according to your ability. So don't be 
upset that he got five and you only got one. And don't be glad that I gave you five rather than just the one because that's your ability. So what he's saying here is that I love you and I respect you and I'm giving you what I know you can do. Well, what's interesting is the five earned another five, so he doubled it. The two earned another two, so he doubled it. And then the one with one comes back and says this to the master. The man who had received one bag of gold said, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and buried your gold in the ground. Here you go. Jesus says that the master said, you wicked, lazy servant. Well, there's your proof. He's not merciful. He called him wicked and lazy. Well, you have to understand the story before you go off on saying that God is not merciful, Jesus isn't merciful, and this is the proof. The reality of it is, remember how Jesus has to sort out the sheep and the goats. Why? Because there's purity and holiness, and then there's unholiness, there's deception, there's lies, there's wickedness. And what he is saying here is, your thought about who the master is is wrong. Your view of God being wicked, of being harsh, of being mean, is a wrong perception. God himself is merciful. God himself is love magnified. And so I'm calling your mindset wicked, and it needs to be gone because it cannot be in the presence of God, because it's opposite of who he is. It's a lie. We sang about that earlier. You're going to kick down the walls. You're going to remove any lie. So Jesus' confrontation was, what a wicked thought. And by the way, I know your heart, and your heart is you're just lazy. You didn't want to do the work of the others. But I gave to you according to your ability, and you didn't rise to the occasion. So I can't bless you. I can't give to you, which is my heart. I would have loved to have given you more. Because you know what? Had you gone out and risked it and lost it, I got plenty of cash in the house. God has all the resources of the world. I, I would have given you more had you risked it, but you didn't risk anything. Why? You think I'm mean? Man, you don't know my heart. God is merciful. Well, Jesus goes on to tell another story, and the story was this. He said, so there was this guy that was traveling. He went on his way. Well, he got beat up and mugged and left beside the road for dead. And, and this, this Levite went by, and, and then this other guy. They're both the religious people. But then this other guy went by, and he took care of him and bandaged him up and took him to a hotel and, and said, hey, here's some cash. Take care of him. And next time I come through, if it takes, took, takes more than what I gave you, I'll even take care of that. And we know that story as the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, Jesus is telling this story to someone who, was, who knew the law. And Jesus said to him, so of these three, which of them was a neighbor to the man? And the man said, this is the expert of the law, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go, do likewise. Well, why does Jesus teach this story of mercy and the Good Samaritan? but that we've been called to be merciful. And why would we as Christians be merciful? Because we've received mercy. 
It's not a checklist to do. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's at the end of the day, oh, yeah, I was merciful to that one person. I feel pretty good. I can go to bed now. Oh, no, 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 wait. No, today was a really good day. I was merciful twice. <laughs> so you know what that means. Before I was going to live here in heaven, now I'm going to live over here. It's going to be a nicer street, more gold, China. You know what? Today, I was merciful four times. Do you understand where I'm going to live in heaven now? No, there's none of that. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us because of what he's done for us. And so the third point of this message is, so, so God's all-powerful. He's the judge, and he has the right to judge because he has the wisdom to judge. But he is this all-merciful God. And out of that mercy, what does he do? He rewards. You know, there's a hundred places where this concept of rewards comes up. But in the Old Testament, there's 27 different words regarding reward. Now, what's interesting is we have to understand reward is a big deal to God. For some reason, God is a reward-giving person. Now, the question becomes, well, what does it mean that he rewards? Some of your Bibles would say he renders. To render means to bring to completion. To render means to give to you fullness of peace. When I do a funeral and I, I'm at the gravesite, one of the scriptures I tend to mention is out of Revelations where it says, and they rest from their good works on earth to enter into his presence for the purpose of what? Receiving and hearing, well done thy good and faithful servant. Not the person that checked off the marks, but the person that was open to who he is. And what's interesting is the word here is shalam. God shalams you. You know, Gomer Pyle, what did he used to say? Shazam. Well, God doesn't shazam evidently, he shalams. And it's this picture of everyone according to what they've done. So he rewards us. He gives to us. Now, what's interesting in that is if we go back to Matthew 25, he, he helps us understand something. So let's look at this. For I was hungry. This is Jesus speaking. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me and I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we? What does that suggest? When, when did we see you hungry? And when did we see you thirsty? It suggests that our faith isn't a checklist. And some of you are glad because you don't want to go to the prison. <laughs> and visit somebody in prison. I've done prison ministry. Sometimes the hair on the back of my neck is just like, I hope I'm safe. Lord, protect me. But the sheep, the righteous ones, the ones who have walked in God's presence say, when did we? Because it isn't, it isn't a checklist. It's not a, did I do that today or not? Now, I don't mind self-evaluation, but what is the caution there is rather than joining into the story that God has for us, we begin to make it more of a checklist. Hmm. So God is going to reward us. And what's interesting about rewarding us is, well, let me do a flashback. In 1979, uh, is anyone, was anyone alive then? Just so that I can reference. Okay. Um, so in 1979, when I was in college, they had this event called 
the Mr. MVNC pageant. And all men love pageants, do we not? Right? I mean, come on, we love pageants. And so I responded to the invitation to join this pageant. And it was a, a talent pageant where you had to do a talent of some kind. There was the wardrobe portion, portion and there was the bathing suit. No, it was a gym suit outfit portion. And the interview of what, what do you want? Well, world peace, you know, because that's the answer that the winners use. And um, so in the midst of all that competition and everything else, guess who won? You better believe it was me. That's right or I wouldn't bring this up probably. But there I am being crowned Mr. MVNC. And I know the reason that I got it was A, because of my good looks. <laughs> B, because I'm incredibly talented. No, you know what? The reality of it is there were guys way more talented. One of the guys in the competition, he and his brother both traveled for four years on a, on a music team. And yet somehow my song, my wardrobe, my charm, and when I was done, I was thinking, okay, the judges, I, um, did they, were they hearing impaired? Um, I mean, could they really see me? But all I know is I became Mr. Ambiency. Congratulations, Ed. Well, it was a little bit louder when I actually was crowned. But I'm willing, you know, we are in church, let's, let's be humble. Um, and you know why I say that? Psalms 149.4 says that he crowns the humble with salvation. Anyone wearing the crown of salvation today? Have any of you been humble enough to say, God, I need you? I mean, I can live my life. I can be a human. But I want to live above just being a human. I want to be a child of God. I want to know your love. I want to know your forgiveness, but I also want to know your empowerment. I want to know your wisdom. I want to know your guidance. The humble receive the crown of salvation. Well, you know what? There's five other crowns that are actually mentioned in Scripture. So here's your little study today. Some of you have maybe never even thought about it, never heard about it, but there are five crowns in Scripture that will be rewarded to people in heaven. But the reality of it is we're intended to wear them now, but we will get them later. So, so let's look at these five. The first one is this, the incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul's talking about, hey, when runners are out there and they're running for the race, they're running the race for a corruptible crown, a crown that will go away. But there's this crown in heaven for you if you will fix your eyes on Jesus and run your race, your life with him. Then there's the crown of rejoicing, which some would call that the, the, the evangelist crown, because you've had an impact on others. Others have come to Christ because of your life. So the crown of rejoicing. Then there's the crown of life, the crown of life out of, first, uh, out of James 1.12. It's for those who endure. Some call it the martyr crown. Who wants a martyr crown? <laughs> Nobody? No. But it's those that love Jesus so much, I would go to death for him. You, you're beginning to get a a, a, kind of an echo here. These crowns seem to be about loving Jesus. What's the next one? Well, the crown of righteousness. It's for those who love him and anticipate his return. I just can't wait until Jesus comes back. I so want to be in his presence. I so want to be with him. But we need to live in the moment while we anticipate his coming. So the crown of righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to get that crown. Then you've got the crown of glory. 
The crown of glory is, is for those who teach, those who pour into other people. You know, pastors are held more accountable than you are, according to Scripture. But there's a crown for them if they choose to teach the Word properly. All these crowns. But you know what? It's amazing how there's also a warning in Scripture. Let's look at this verse. It's Revelations 3.11. And so we're going to look right down there. Behold, I'm coming quickly. This is Jesus speaking. Hold fast what you have. Well, what do you have? That no one take your crown. Jesus says, every one of you have a crown if you are my child. You have been crowned into a position. As I was crowned into Mr. MVNC, you have been crowned into his royal family. Come, take your crown. Wear it. When I was... I was Mr. MVNC. Uh, when I was crowned, do you know what happened? I took on an even greater privilege of saying, I want to be a role model on this campus. My speech, my actions, what I do in the classrooms, what I do on dates, everything I do, I want to esteem Mount Vernon Nazarene College. Why? Because two years earlier, I gave my life to Christ at that university. I'd received Christ at that university. And I'd already been crowned from Jesus, but I hadn't been crowned from the school yet. But in being crowned, Mr. MVNC, it reminded me of my calling, my calling to purity, my calling to integrity, that somehow I could influence others to say, wear your crown. Remember that you have a crown. You've been crowned, the crown of life. Seek to live in the crown of righteousness. Embrace this. Hold on to this. But it raises the question of why do we need to hold on to it? It, it suggests that someone can take that crown from you. You're not going to lose it. Oh, man, where did I, I put my crown? You're not going to lose it, but somebody can take it from you, it suggests. Well, who would want to take your crown from you? We know him as the enemy, Satan, the demons. They can't stand the fact that we have chosen to receive Christ. They can't stand that we're willing to live in truth rather than their lies, that we're willing to live in love rather than jealousy or bitterness or resentment. I love this quote from John Eldridge. He says, the enemy seeks. The enemy seeks to bury Christians in duty. I'm a firm believer that if we create our faith, our relationship with Jesus as a checkbox thing, okay, did I go to the prison today? Uh, uh, did I uh, feed, feed any hungry people? Um, excuse me, but here's some clothes, you naked person. You know, let the naked take care of themselves. It's awkward to be around naked people to me. I don't know. Just here, here, here's a box. Just go over there. And hey, here, here's a water bottle. And... But our faith is not this checkbox thing. But the enemy would want us to get caught up in duty and responsibility and trying to be pure and da-da-da-da, rather than living in the purity, the righteousness that Christ has given us. Amen. We're living, wearing the crown of righteousness. But the enemy wants us to get distracted, so much so that when Jesus wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelations, one of the things that he said to one of the churches, but it kind of echoed through some of the others too, is I love the fact that you're taking care of the poor and you're helping the widows, but you've lost your first love. Man, you're doing the right things, 
but it's not from a heart of love anymore. You're just doing the duty of what my story suggests. My story is a story of living in such a way that other people's lives are touched because you have lived out mercy. Pastor Carly hit that right on the nose a couple weeks ago and saying, there's a parade going on and it's our privilege to invite other people into that. It's our privilege to say to someone else, did you know that God has a crown waiting for you? I mean, there's five of them actually, as far as scripture says, one of them is for the humble. One is for those willing. It's the crown of salvation. Man, would you want it? He loves you. I was at the restaurant this week and talking with a couple guys over the idea of evangelism and helping you as a church embrace the ability to evangelize without any pressure, without any, oh, oh boy, I'm going to try and talk to Jesus to these guys. But in that, we said, okay, let's try it on the waiter. I mean, waiters are fun because you can just pick on them, you know, and they have to put up with it because they're hoping to get a tip. And... Um, so the waiter came and we said, hey, you, you look like you're about a student's age. And, and he says, well, yes, actually, I'm a, a student at Boise State. Oh, well, what are you studying? Well, I'm a double major in psychology and philosophy. And we said, that's awesome, because do we have a question for you? Love to have a philosophical response to it. He goes, oh, well, let me go return these things and I'll be right back. He was so excited to answer our question because, you know, he's a philosophy student. They're smart. And um, so he comes back and we said, okay, Let's suppose that there is a God and you have an audience with this God. What question would you want to ask this God? And his first answer was, well, which God are we talking about? Oh, you know what? And our response was, you just choose a God. Just choose. And his answer was, why? If you could ask God a question, bring up a topic, what would it be? And he said, why? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? Now, we didn't get to go into any big, long conversation. But next time I see him, he's going to remember that question. And I, I, I question if he hasn't thought more about it. Because he said, if I knew the why, I could get a lot of people behind me. I could tell he was an influencer. And he said, if I, if I just knew the why or the purpose, boy, would I be able to rally a lot of people. What does that say to you about where this, this person is? He's still questioning. He's still wondering. And what's amazing is, at some point, I, I hope I get a chance to tell him, part of the reason we're here, so that we can get a crown. The reason we're here is so that we can know salvation, that we can walk in relationship with God. But... The challenge with that is we all have to sort things out. What's important to us? Is it the diamond ring? Or is it just this fun little deal? Now, both of these have sentimental, reason, per, sentimental value to me. This was my father's ring that he wore when he was married to my mom. And when he passed away, my mom said, I want you to have this. This box is sentimental to me because I used this box to propose to my wife the first time I proposed. 
It's the truth. The reason is it was a fake proposal. I put a Mickey Mouse ring in there, and I got down on one knee as her family was at the dinner table, and I said, Debbie, I'm asking for your hand in marriage. Will you marry me? And it was all staged. Her brother and sister-in-law knew it as well because we wanted to see what her parents' reaction would be so that I would know if I really wanted to risk my life and ask for her hand in marriage. So both of these have sentimental value. This was the fake ring that I proposed. But the question is this. What are you sorting through right now? Some of you are sorting through, how deep do I go with this God thing? What is the relationship I really want to have? Do I really want to embrace him and let him be a part of my life? The reality is someday he'll, he'll do the sorting. Yet he's merciful and loving. He's just, he's holy. And only that which is pure gets into heaven. But remember, your purity comes as a gift through Christ. Your purity doesn't come through you doing the right thing and being the right person. If it depended on that, none of us would make it. Even though I'm a lot better than most of you. No, I'm not really. But you get my point. Let's pray. Father, we know that no victor ever gets on a podium alone. Someone helped them get there. There were coaches. Sometimes there was a pacer. The pacer ran out and ran the first 10 laps and set the pace for me so that I could finish it off. Jesus, we will only be given the crown because you first wore a crown, a crown of thorns. You died for us. You gave your life for us. You are the victor who has made us victors. We thank you for those deposits that you've made in us. And we receive today our crown, the crown of salvation. Wow. What a gift. And help us, Father, to live worthy of that crown. Help us to live a life of purity, a life of mercy, a life of peace. One thing you have promised, two things I have heard. I don't need to repay evil for evil because you'll take care of that. So, God, help me to just plant good seeds. Help me to plant seeds of love. And help me to leave that person, that situation in your hands. David knew Absalom was out to kill him in this chapter. And yet David said, guys, God will repay evil for evil. So let's focus on how we want to finish our life, our race, and not worry about how they're finishing their race or what evil they're doing. So Lord, use us. Use us to add to the count of sheep that will be with you for all eternity. Because that's your end game. That's your purpose. That's your plan. Your word says that you don't want any to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. So give us a passion for evangelism. Give us a passion for sorting out what's of value and what's not of value. 
everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And, and I can play video games for five hours a day. It's, 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 it's permissible, but is it beneficial? I can wax my car every day, but is that really beneficial? I can be online, Facebooking, FaceTiming. God, help us to sort out what's important. If we've received you, we're a part of your family. And while we have been invited to a banquet feast in heaven, we reflect back to Psalms 23. God, would you also prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy? Would you teach me how to love here so that I'm ready to experience the depth of your love there? Hmm. Help me to be merciful. Help me to be pure in all my words, in all my thoughts, in all my deeds. Help me to love well. Help me to sort things out well. And thank you that you're pure, that you're just, that you're holy, and that you will not allow anything that is impure or decaying to be part of eternity. There will be no more death. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more tears because they can't be in your presence. Wow. Oh, you are good. You are merciful. And so they were loading on a plane in Johannesburg, South Africa, preparing to fly out. And a wealthy white lady came and sat down in an aisle and immediately called over a stewardess. And the stewardess said, Madam, how may I help you? She said, do you think I'm really going to sit next to this person? He was a part of a certain tribe that was a lower class. I demand to have a new seat. It is unthinkable that I would have to be seated by him for an entire flight. Madame, all of this coach is filled, but I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to the pilot because I have to have permission from the captain but I'm going to go see if we have another seat available. She left and came back after a while, and she stood there, and she said, "Um, Madame, I have spoken with the captain, and the captain agrees. It's audacious. It's ridiculous that somebody would have to sit by somebody that is so poor in character, someone as ridiculous as they are. She then looked to the black man and said, Sir, if you would collect your things, I would like to take you to a first-class seat because the pilot agrees you shouldn't have to put up with this. I, I think I heard one in the back. Well, what's interesting is that's what happened when she said it. The people around that heard what was said applauded. Why? Because justice was served. Mercy was shown. Go this week knowing that God's mercy covers you if you will receive it, but also give mercy out because you have received it. Wear your crown this week, the crown of salvation, and live your life in such a way that you would get the victor's crown that no one takes your crown from you 
because you know it's a gift given. Not a gift earned, but a gift given. Will you wear your crown this week and invite someone else to take up their crown of salvation because you have spoken into their lives? Now may the God of peace, the God of hope, the God of all power, the God of all mercy live in you and abide in you in such a way that you change the rooms that you walk into because that those people know, those people sense the peace of God, the love of God, the joy of God in your lives. Go embrace the story that God is inviting you to be a part of and be a world changer. God bless you.